Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. My guest is Grant Blaisdell, co-founder of Copernic Space, the marketplace for digital space assets. And Grant, thanks you for joining us once again on the program. Thanks for having me again, Tom. It's good to see you again. Good to see you again. Last time you were on Grant, you had just revealed your space marketplace and now it's operational. So how has the response been? Uh, great. Um, you know, we have, of course, high expectations for ourselves, uh, for ourselves and, and what the feedback will be. Uh, but also realistic ones. You know, we're we're doing we're setting a new standard. Uh, no one's ever done this before, um, so we don't expect everyone, especially in the space or kind of the general market, um, to get it like that. Uh, but we see that within a couple years, what we've done will become uh, kind of the digital economic operating system for for space or the the digital commercialization standard for certain types of space assets. Um, so we have interested parties going through the platform to to send physical cargo to the moon. Um, and then in a couple months, we'll open up the, the public side of the market, uh, which allows for the first time the retail market to buy, in this case, fractional ownership of a true space asset. So tell us a little bit more about the Copernic Space Marketplace and how it evolved. Like like story from from origin sort of thing. Sure, we've got yeah some. Uh, yeah. I just want to be sensitive to not repeat something that we we said before. But um, this this platform and and project is generations in the making. Technically, um, the kind of soul of it started with my grandfather who helped build the astronaut program in the 60s and 70s uh, in Poland. Um, very progressive minded guy and he had these early writings. I have some of these journals around the democratization of space. Um, my mother and I, uh, Lady Rocket is actually a co-founder of Copernic Space, but she kept picked up that, that torch and was active in various ways around the space economy in the 80s and 90s through kind of the Silicon Valley and computer tech space. And uh, when I got old enough and, and mature enough to, to really go, go forward and lean into this, I've been active in the space economy in various ways, such as we have the Lady Rocket Foundation, uh, among other things. Uh, and we, we ran into a few walls ourselves, as well as space companies that we knew. And because of my background around digital media platforms, blockchain applications, understanding how to build complex problems to fit complex markets, um, we realized that one of the biggest opportunities ever, which currently is an issue for the space economy, uh, but we're gonna turn them into the biggest opportunities, not just for space companies, but more importantly, the wider commercial and retail market is twofold. Uh, one is being solved by the marketplace currently, which is, you know, we have this amazing almost $500 billion space market, soon to be a trillion dollars, uh, but it has no market. There's no central point to even discover all these great space companies. People don't realize there's hundreds and thousands of space companies. Right. 
they they think there's like five and then NASA and a few other state organizations. Um, so uh, first off, create a place where the wider commercial market can discover these space companies and the assets that they offer. Uh, but most importantly, to make it transactional, right? So with the marketplace, we wanted to do two things. A, bring the space economy into, you know, Web 2.0, in this case, 3.0, um, create a digital commercialization standard that allows them to better sell the assets that they're already creating, and then turn them into actual true space assets uh, that provide certain ownership, utility, et cetera, that allows the retail market to become involved for the first time. So our focus for this first year um, is on the marketplace, right? And we just launched the first commercial case on it, which is pretty historic generally, uh, which is Lunar Outpost's Map Rover. So we tokenized uh, the payload space they have within it. We're offering it commercially uh, on our platform. So entities right now can go on comparenixspace.com, join what we call the private sale, uh, buy the 100 gram minimum to physically send something to the moon. We built a digital interface and process that allows you to go back and forth with Lunar Outpost to conclude that sale properly. They need to understand what you want to send up, you know, the sales and service agreement. Uh, we also allow invoicing. So you can do these sort of transactions off chain, these private sale ones. Um, and they get an NFT, a non-fungible token that represents their rights uh, to that payload space. And then when that public sale launches, they can then convert that to represent ownership of their actual cargo that's going up to the moon. And then they can fractionalize it and resell it on the public market. So in a couple months, whether it's you, myself, whoever it is, we'll be able to buy fractional ownership of a true space asset that's going to the moon. And then there's a secondary market where they can trade these things further, right? And we wanted this to serve as, once again, the digital commercialization standard for physical payload, and then create the space asset class and marketplace to where you might see, you know, some of these companies and projects and these assets these space companies will earn more off it being an asset in the retail and the secondary market than they will selling out their full payload, right? So streamline that, um, scale up that commercialization, that transactional element of the space economy, streamline these very archaic standard business processes, give it a digital interface, you know, a single place to manage all of it, and then turn it into an asset and release it onto the global, global market to be consumed in that sort of manner. Um, I feel like I can keep going in a million different ways and directions and cases we have going around it, but we're super proud of what we've done. You know, we've already made history with this launch. Uh, right now, it's just a matter of continuing and onboarding more great space companies and engaging the crypto community more because we have a big belief that the initial big buyers of space assets are going to be in the crypto economy. Now as with most technical things, there's a lexicon. And so if you could just maybe give us a little bit of an explanation on a couple of things that, that folks who are not involved in that area might know about. Specifically, Web3, there's DeFi, you mentioned non-fungible tokens. What are those kinds of things and why are they important to space commerce? Yeah, so we, we count ourselves as a Web3 platform in, mm -hmm. in the marketplace, that's a Web3 marketplace. Um, so for example, you don't, we're not intermediary when it comes to funds and assets. Um, there's loads of benefits to that. 
uh, in space, uh, to people that are in space, they can be quite obvious, uh, which is the sensitivity of transferring data or these space assets with middlemen involved. Right. It's, I'm dealing with this entity, I am this entity, I don't want any middlemen or exposure of risk in between. And we use NFTs in a way that you're going to see NFTs being like a backbone um, in the digital economy going forward. Not really what you're seeing today around the hype. You know, we're not selling JPEG art forms. Right. Uh, we're selling, we're using NFTs to be the package that provides certain features for real space assets, right? And we can do really great things with NFTs. You know, satellite data is an amazing one. So um, you could, for example, in the future, come on Copernic Space, you could acquire a license to access certain satellite data from a provider. When you acquire that license, it's technically an NFT and you can access directly that data set under that license through that NFT. So we're also creating a place where you can have all your assets and manage them and access them in one place. So NFTs are gonna be the vehicle and kind of the trust system for all these assets and allows for fractionalization. So I can program within the smart contracts that all these assets are tied to. I can program, for example, you know, Lunar Outpost will earn 2% off every single secondary transaction of perpetuity. I can embed within them that any owner of this NFT has rights and access to this data set. I can program within the NFT that uh, you can only trade this NFT within our marketplace to another wallet that has been whitelisted by the platform. So that's, for example, how we use it to, um, to not allow U.S. space companies to sell their space assets to, for example, Chinese nationals on the secondary market. Um, so um, the Web3 aspect is more of how the platform is constructed. Mm -hmm. Um, we're what we think is once again, the next stage of what web three and NFTs are going to do. So we're not like OpenSea. You can think of us as like OpenSea for space, but we control the entry points, right? So we control who comes on, we KYC them. We know where they're, what nationality they are. And we do KYM. It's a process we defined ourselves called know your material, where that's us validating whether this space company has the rights to register ownership of and commercially offer these assets, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing you asked about, which was DeFi, which means decentralized finance, um, the marketplace to us is technically not DeFi. What is going to be DeFi, which we plan on releasing next year, is the space pool. So that's solving the same kind of similar needs and issues that exist in the marketplace aspect, but for financing for space companies. Okay. Uh, you know, limited amount of VCs, uh, government grants pretty much run the table. And otherwise you might have a few crazy angel investors around. But other than that, space companies are quite limited to how they can gain liquidity and financing. And on the same end, other than space ventures a little bit, there's no entry point for the retail market into space. And there's huge pressure on both ends. So when we say DeFi, we're talking about using tokenization and I can give you a really cool use case. Okay. Uh, we think this is gonna be regulated as a security eventually probably. 
Um, that's one, another reason they'll go on the space pool because there's certain regulatory things you have to be handling when you're dealing with financing direct investment as opposed to just buying and selling assets or utilities and, or services. Um, so in the future, we think that a lot of space companies and projects, especially those with any track record, um, will say, hey, dear retail market, instead of us going and doing kind of the VC thing, giving away equity, et cetera, for the next satellite we're going to create that we're going to commercialize and generate revenue in this way, we're going to tokenize it. We're going to offer, let's say, 50% of it to the retail market and the buyers of those will have rights to future revenue generated by that satellite. And they'll get an NFT that holds all their rights and it's tied to this smart contract. So when those funds go into the smart contract, they get distributed accordingly automatically, right? So we really want to not just open up the liquidity and accessibility between space companies and the retail market, um, but we want to provide new models that are specifically built and uh, provide benefits to space companies in the space economy. We're not just building a platform saying here. Uh, we're building each case on very considered verticals and standards. So like I said, we're starting with physical payload. We feel that we've created the initial standard for digital commercialization of physical payload. Next, what we're going to announce soon is we're going to be doing the standard for digital payload, which is an up and coming market in mm. or segment in the space market uh, that people will start seeing over the next couple of years. Um, so DeFi is taking certain elements of tokenization around cryptocurrencies and allowing the retail market to participate in it without middlemen or controls. So what is the hard asset with Lunar Outpost? Is the, it, it's a rover, correct? Yeah, so the, the hard, what we call in our platform or in the background, how we define this is real assets and virtual assets. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is Lunar Outpost has a real asset. They're tokenizing that. They're offering purchase of that real asset on our marketplace. Entities come in, they purchase this real asset and they now have ownership of that real asset. And they can then transfer that into a virtual asset and fractionalize it and sell it on the retail market. So once again, we're, we're not just allowing these real assets that exist to be better commercializable and scalable, et cetera, but then we're building an entirely new revenue paradigm and stream uh, for these companies to do that. So the real asset is the payload, the physical cargo payload space on the rover going to the moon. The virtual asset is fractional virtual ownership of that payload, right? So I can buy a gram of ownership if I want and treat it as an asset. Now, Lunar Outpost got a contract recently from NASA to start mining on the moon. How does that affect what you're doing? Not at all. Okay. So um, the great thing, uh, I mean, to me it's historic. I'm super proud of the guys and they have another mission scheduled in 2024, I think. The unique thing about this mission is it's the first like really private commercializable moon mission in that sort of sense. It's never been done like that. And that's why we're able to offer this in this sort of way, engage the wider commercial and retail market. There's probably gonna be more limitations on it in, in the future one, for example, because probably NASA will be more involved, right, in that. Um, so I'm, I'm super, I mean, the guys are making history with it and they're literally building, you know, a lunar outpost in this sense because that rover is going to stay there, right? And this is where Artemis, I believe, is scheduled to land. So, you know, there can even be interactions around that in the near future. 
Um, but, you know, that's NASA taking a really big step. I'm not going to go into, you know, the specifics of why that's a really big step, um, but it's setting a new foundation for kind of material uh, resources, ownership of resources on the moon. Um, but, you know, we're giving people the legitimate opportunity for the first time ever to actually own something that's on the moon. You talked about private sale physical cargo NFTs and a public sale virtual cargo NFT. What, what are the opportunities for companies and investors and other interested parties? Uh, well, the investors thing, like I don't use that term because okay. we're not, we're not, uh, this isn't being made available with, uh, um, with the expectation of return. Right. Okay. It's to be treated as an asset is to be treated as something that's unique to own um, that if the market determines that it, someone wants to buy it for more than someone wants to buy it for more. Um, you know, there's lots of examples we could go through, whether it's like Pokemon cards um, to, you know, unique ownership. Like if you look at the NFT space today, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I were to told you two years ago that there would be a hundred billion dollar market of people buying JPEGs in this tokenized format, you would say I'm crazy, right? Mm. Um, we're representing that just in, in tie to real assets and space assets, right? So let the market determine how they value things, right? Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to the space pool, that DeFi end, that's the pure kind of investment return, Right. So that's we segregate those two things. This is the commercialization space asset. This is investments financing space asset, if you want to say. Do you have a timeline for when sales are going to get underway? For, for which part? For the sale, when, when, when you're going to start the sale of these, the NFTs? Uh, technically, it's already started. So we're in the private sale portion mm-hmm. right now. So if you do buy the 100 grand plus cargo to send your physical, you actually do get that NFT, right? That represents that ownership. Public sale is scheduled for end of April right now. We'll see how certain things align, how the market is looking, especially the crypto market at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're shooting for end of April. So that will be when anybody who bought cargo and put their cargo in in the private sale or any remaining space will be made commercially available to the retail market in fractional ownership sense. I'm talking with Grant Blaisdell, co-founder of Copernic Space, the marketplace for digital space assets. Take a moment right now, click on subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our podcasts, or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Grant, Copernic Space is very much an international company from Los Angeles in the U.S., and you're based in Warsaw, Poland, as well as other countries like Ukraine. So tell us about the effects and efforts you're putting it forth with regard to that Russian invasion of, your, of Ukraine and the consequences to you, to Copernic space and to Poland, as well as your views on the space economy. Uh, yeah, there's so much to touch on that question. Um, so I'm going to try to segment it. I think, you know, you got to remember a lot of tech startups, companies have a lot of their technical intellectual capital in Poland and Ukraine. Um, So I think a lot of companies are uncomfortable talking about this. Of all the articles I've really been seeing around, it's none of us like, hey, here's an American company talking about how it's affecting them, right? Because I think they're scared of how it will reflect towards their investors or whatever it is. 
Um, we built our company off of transparency. That's also another thing we want to provide to the space economy is accessibility and transparency of it. So we have a, a good section of our tech team uh, in Odessa. My CTO is originally from Odessa. Um, what has happened is, is luckily he got out a few days before. It wasn't, it was like a planned trip he already had. And our senior dev got out the day that it happened. The rest are generally still there in Odessa. Um, everyone's still working. Uh, there's some ups and downs in it. So, you know, I'll be on a call and it'll be like, okay, here's a bomb raid siren. I need to go down into, you know, a bunker or whatever like that. Um, my, my worry about it is, is, is a little bit more of, okay, is it going to reach a point where I need to switch up and bring in different talent? Um, but, uh, man, I can go and what we've done though, is I, I set up a crypto, a Bitcoin fund for all employees month, months and months ago, um, that I've been just feeding personal money into, um, and uh, when this started happening, I transitioned that to like an emergency fund for the guys to use whenever they need to use it, put some more money in there. I've had some people put money in it. And then we teamed up with a group of crypto companies in the region to launch Crypto for Ukraine, where we're fundraising money and uh, through crypto and giving it to um, PAH, it's um, a Polish organization that has been helping Ukrainian war refugees since 2014. Because here's the other thing that most people forget. This is, this has been, I've been paying attention to this across the years and right. this isn't anything new. So Poland's been accepting, you know, people touched by this, this conflict in a, in a sense since 2014-ish actually. Um, so for us uh, here in Poland, um, it's great PR for Poland to be honest, I've never seen so many people write to me positive things about Poland. Um, you know, just how we've reacted to that whole situation. I'm actually right now an hour from the border, approximately mm -hmm. I'm not Warsaw at the moment. So I got every time I go to the mall here, there's loads of American military guys here. So stuff is happening, stuff is changing here. Um, you know, Poland's probably going to end up having to accept X million uh, Ukrainians here. Um, we're kind of used to that. Another thing people don't know is that Poland has brought in the most Ukrainians out of all of Europe in the past, you know, whatever X years. So we already have a huge amount here. Um, and they're pretty, you know, they're pretty culturally, let's say synergistic here. So it, it doesn't have that much of a disruptive element outside of, you know, the economic stuff that might be happening around it. Um, but listen, we're, you know, we're positive in the sense of, like I told you before the call with, you know, stuff that's that's happening in life is like the world keeps spinning. Um, Copernic Space is focused on delivering everything that, that we talk about and plan on delivering. So I still have calls with my team every single day. Um, cool thing around how it's affected space economy is it's really highlighted something that's important to us, uh, the value of satellite data and imagery. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand that. And that's one of the key missions we have at Copernic Space is to provide a streamlined kind of digital commercialization standard for satellite data and, and uh, imagery. Um, so that, you know, a, a farmer in Africa, a hedge fund in New York, or, you know, let's say some, somebody in Ukraine um, can get the data and the images um, that they need. 
right? Um, so we've seen, you know, a few satellite companies be highlighted very strongly during this, this campaign. Right. So um, that's a positive thing for me because a lot of people don't understand how much of what they're using or what benefits them on earth is already related towards space tech. Uh, but even more importantly, if, if we empower and provide better commercialization and financing to these space entrepreneurs who are building these things, then the on earth benefits can just explode, right? And, and that's why we do projects like Satellite Rhino. I think we chatted about that maybe last time I was on. Mm -hmm. These things that emotionally capture people and show how space tech can be applied to help solve problems that are very close to people's heart. I talked last week with Namrata Goswami who talked about the satellite imagery issue and said that there's a possibility that Vladimir Putin could consider the providing of satellite imagery to Ukraine as an act of war against Russia. Uh, have you heard anything, has there been any concern about those kinds of things from your end or um, does that bother you? No, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a specialist, so to say, at this stuff, but I've spent a lot of time looking at it. And I think I have a more, because of my background and, and what I've kind of been interested in in life and obviously where I am, I, I feel I understand Russia better than the average American does, like their mentality and stuff like that. Um, so um, just like it, it came out where they're talking about today where Poland is going to do a swap with the U.S. around jets and Poland's going to give jets to Ukraine so the U.S. doesn't have to, so it doesn't bring in the situation that you're talking about. Right. And someone said, well, that's already a declaration of war. And that's not true. If you look at historically, the U.S. has been in World War II, we were providing lots of resources to the allies before ever formally being involved in the war or before the access powers ever looking at us formally as an enemy in the war officially. Um, so listen, it's, you know, it's obviously, it's a personal kind of topic to me as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've uh, spent a lot of time with, with Ukrainians here in Poland, working with them, obviously. Um, so I, of course, wish for the best uh, when it comes to this element. And my, the problem is, is that men from 18 to 60 can't leave. Right. So that's the issue that I have. Otherwise, I have houses already arranged for them. One of our investors, Startup Wise Guys, is also helping arrange locations around Europe for them to, to stay. Not just our people, but you know other, sure. other people in the startup tech place. So um, probably get worse before it gets better, but eventually it'll have to get better. Well, uh, we applaud you for, for your efforts, and, and that's very, very noble of you. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I mean, I, to be honest, I wish, I wish I could be doing more right now, but as you know, I just had, my son was just born and all that stuff. So pushing the company, you know, trying to do the, the kind of the right thing. And then your personal life all at once can get complicated. Sure. Um, on, on a, on a much less depressing note, you're please. on the advisory board for Stellar Modal Transportation Association, which um, Xterra is also involved in. How did you get involved with Stellar Modal and how do you see the potential for the SMTA? Tom just hit me up. Uh, so what, what ends up happening 
and this happened with Lunar Outpost as well, is a lot of our great partners, they watch something like this or they hear me speaking somewhere else or they see some news and they're doing and they contact us. So Tom, Tom who leads, helps lead the organization uh, hit me up. He said, hey, we think what you're trying to do from my understanding is very much gonna be kind of the, the future of how the space economy will look like. Uh, this is what we do. How can we help each other or, or work together? Um, so my approach so far with that has been, you know, something that's very interesting that's happening in the NFT space is not buying NFTs to for, because it's art or it's a profile pick project or whatever, uh, but buying NFTs to get access to certain organizations, utilities, etc. So one thing we're looking at is creating once again like a digital standard because for our first couple of years, you know, we team up with great companies and organizations to prove verticals, like create standards of verticals in the market, right? So we think one coming up um, that's going to be very interesting is membership and access to space organizations of various kinds. Right. You got guys like Foundation for the Future that are very progressive, open minded, that, that we're very cool with as well. You know, we're talking about Tom and what what um, Stellar Modal is doing, um, but providing people commercial, enabling open access to these space organizations for the wider commercial and retail market. Right. Uh, and once again, providing a revenue or a fundraising model for these organizations. Right. So we're talking about even doing like a, um, a, a letting letting the American public fund um, fund political action committees focused on space in D.C. Right. That's never been done before. Right. Um, and with Stellar Modal, we're looking at, you know, how do we enable better access to these sort of organizations? and then provide a system that enables these organizations to better get their space assets out, right? Because these all these organizations are creating something of value. A space asset doesn't have to be in space. Right. Um, so it could, it could be like access to data. It could be, hey, access to our quarterly reports, right? Sure. Um, so really, we view ourselves as a macroeconomic solution for space. So we want it all. We want to host all these sales, all these financing events, and we want to help set the standards for it. Um, so it's a great position to be in because we don't, we, we don't really have to be competitive with anyone. We're just trying to help everyone kind of in a certain sense. We're just about out of time, Grant, but I want you to look out if you would, and we did this last time, uh, over the next 10 or 15 years or so in space commerce and what you guys are doing with it. And tell me what you see. Uh, cool case conversation I had a few weeks ago with the company. Um, they're building, let's say, the gas stations for space, but there'll mm -hmm. be electric. Mm. Um, so one thing is you'll be able to buy and trade energy and space in our platform in X amount of years. So I call it the, I call it assetizing space um, because I don't view all these things really as like commodities in that sort of sense. Uh, but space will be assetized and it'll do, th do so through tokenization. So once again, maybe I will help fund 
uh, a gas station in space by buying a 1,000th share ownership of it. Mm-hmm. You know, just like I gave the example with the satellite earlier, right? Sure. Uh, another thing, like uh, Kevin O'Connell is a, you know, to me personally is, is a great guy, but he's also on our advisory board. Mm-hmm. And one reason I have him with us um, is because he can help me ch- solve or bust down these walls to these really big issues. So one thing we're looking at doing down the line is think of it as a carbon credit market like we have on Earth, except for space debris. Okay. So, and there's also these interesting things coming out called DAOs, decentralized autonomous uh, organizations that are focused on space. So they're collectivizing capital focused on a certain mission and then funneling that capital collectively towards these missions. And one of them that came out is focused on space debris, right? You saw Privateer came out recently with their public, you know, kind of announcement with Omega about what Privateer really is. Right. So, you know, how do we build these systems that, for example, this company is creating space debris. Well, this company is, uh, is built to take it out, right? Uh, let's get this company paid to take it out. And then the company who's, uh, you know, putting the damage in has to pay that company to offset their, uh, space debris, right. Uh, footprint, so to say, I, I mean, listen, like the cool thing around the space economy is that it can go in any direction right now. There's a million different cool cases. You know, we can talk about mooning on mine, Moon mining, for example, mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, rights are going to be bought and sold when it comes to these locations, you know, so we have lots of interesting partners and cases that we're talking about. I can't answer your question very, very well. I just know that with, within 10 to 15 years, the world will understand that space economy is going to be the largest market in mankind's history. And we'll, we will leave it there. Grant Blaisdell is co-founder of Copernic Space, the marketplace for digital space assets. Grant, thank you very much for coming back and talking with us again on the Xterra podcast. Appreciate it, buddy. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. Be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at xterrajsc.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at XTRJSC. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.